Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts, Tamara Littleton, CEO and founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Welcome back to the podcast, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Wendy. Wendy, how's your week going? Hey, Tamara. Really well. We've just had a very big weekend in, in our household and that our youngest son got married. So we've uh, we've gained a daughter-in-law. So that's Aww. been a very exciting weekend. That's wonderful. How are things with you? <laughs> well, it's uh, it's been actually a really interesting reminder about the power of social media. So we're at the end of July and there have been some flash floods. So London has been affected and I live in East London. And although my road wasn't actually affected, all lots of my neighbours have been. And it was actually really incredible and quite humbling because there's been so much negativity on social media and we've seen like the worst of people using social media with all of the racist abuse during the uh, Euros and, and football, that it was actually quite heartwarming to see just people pulling together and, you know, using social media to say, I've got sandbags if you need them, I've got a pump, I've got spare bedding, and everyone just sort of jumping in and helping each other. So um, that was kind of, yeah, a, a sort of a bit of a rubbish time for people, but really good to see the community in action on social. Yeah, that's lovely. It was like that at the start of the pandemic as well, wasn't it? Yeah. We, I think we saw the the best of humanity then. And talking of the best of humanity, I'm actually uh, so pleased to say that we're joined here by Nam Wynn. And Nam is the founder of Supervillain. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, Nam. Thank you so much. It's uh, it's wonderful to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I know it's uh, the end of your day and the beginning of mine, so I'm glad we can make it work. Because you are in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I know you've had such an impressive career in the advertising industry there. I'm looking forward to hearing about your journey. Before we launch into your journey, can you just let us know about the ethos behind the creative agency that you founded? Uh, I think it was in, was it in 2019. And why Supervillain? Yeah, that's a great question. It's it's amazing because um, it's one that it's a name that um, me and a couple colleagues we almost started an agency back in 2014, um, and it was a name that that kind of stuck for all of us for different reasons. And we kind of knew then that people would gravitate to it for a variety of reasons. And for me specifically, it's just something I've always identified with. You know, it's this ethos of being a supervillain in a world where you always felt like the other. Right. And where other heroes were celebrated, uh, the people that were put in front of you were the ones that you expected. Right. Like, you know, very traditionally, like white men. Right. Like mm-hmm. if, if we if I had to be so forthright and, you know, growing up, I was heavily bullied, you know, even in the business. I never felt like I truly 100 percent felt in. And even for me, bringing a certain perspective to the business, it always felt counter grain. And I've always kind of been that individual. So mm-hmm. when it came time to start my own thing. We knew that we wanted to, one, do things differently, work differently, hire differently, um, and behave differently. And so when, uh, you know, when you do things differently, more traditionally than not, you're known as a, as a villain, more or less. So I love that. Um, so, yeah, that was the, the kind of the ethos of the agency. And, and, um, and, yeah, just to continue on that thought, some of the heroes that I grew up with, too, were, were often um, seen with mugshots or villainized for protesting or... Yeah. Or, you know, sitting in the back of a bus for marching for civil rights for even today, bending on a knee. Right. And so yeah. when we started the agency, we definitely wanted to make sure that we were in line with the values that we believed in. That's a, that's a, a great story. How did you get to starting your agency? Can you kind of go a little bit further back and, and just sort of say, how did you fall into this right from the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I love that question because I feel like I've always been pretty entrepreneurial, you know, when I was, um, you know, I, I think it goes back to, you know, when you know, you're know you a kid and you feel like the world doesn't fit you, mm-hmm. right? Like, or you don't fit into the world necessarily. So you kind of have to create your own environments, create your own rules and your own existence and your own worlds, more or less. And so I've always built things, be it in my imagination or in real life, 
and and yeah, it was very natural, you know, when I stepped into the agency world to have built my own disciplines when I was at Goodby Silverstein and Partners, going to an agency in New York, 360i, where, you know, they were just starting their creative practice and helped them build the a content studio when social was was just uh, a blossoming. And having like, you know, took my practices, you know, to there and have built an agency that, or sorry, built a company and, and the content studio and helped them build a company that, you know, was doing content differently, creative mm-hmm. differently, quicker, cheaper. Doesn't mean it's worse, right? Like mm-hmm. the quality was still there, but we were, we were tinkering and, and, you know, fell into something that I think, you know, was, was really exciting. Um, and then from there, just, you know, helping build other, other people's agencies, you know, that mm-hmm. I was very, very fond of being a part of. Built, you know, went inside to build brands or to build brands. And I've always been a builder, right? And I think the thing is, is when I was interviewing after, you know, my job at Intel, you know, where I was global ECD and I was interviewing all over the place, you know, every job you could think of or want I was interviewing for. But afterwards, after the, you know, a long, long tour of interviewing around the world, I just realized if I wanted to build something that was, most meaningful is going to have to be mine because I had a very specific vision of what I wanted to do. I was just going to say it's it's um, definitely a case of if you can't see what you want to be out there, you have to just go out and build it, right? Totally. Ab- absolutely. It's, um, you know, we always say we want to build the world that we want to see next, right? And build, we want to build the world that we want next. And there are so many people that are doing it, right? And, and I think doing it from the lens of social justice, uh, equity, um, government, I mean, all across the board. And, and, you know, I was in the nonprofit world a long time ago, and I made a, um, a promise to one of my mentors then that when I moved into advertising, that I would try to take some of the ethos of community building, community organizing, and, you know, pur- very purpose-driven values into the adver- marketing advertising space. And so that was a part of it. You know, I feel like I'm just playing a small part in trying to bring a certain, certain way of operating into our, our business. Um, but in the grand scheme of thing, I hope it's just like, you know, one of those things that all kind of click in together in the grand scheme of the world. Because uh, even though in our business, we like to think we are the world, I, I, I very much disagree. But at least I'm, I'm hopefully doing uh, my part, me and my team are doing our part to contribute to, to the greater good. And of course, for all of us, our journeys start even further back. And I'm really interested in what you were saying about the world not fitting and, and your love of building things and I'm curious if if they were themes from your childhood as well so I'd love to know what were you like as a child as a child it's it's funny because when I when I ask a lot of folks it's uh, I feel like it's 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 really strange I feel like at the purest moments of my childhood before a lot of the bullying and the racism you know kind of surfaced and I, mm-hmm. I dealt with that for years I feel like I've I'm now the, the person that I was as a child if that makes any sense you know like yeah. I've worked my whole life to do the Picasso thing of like not not lose sight of of your of your childhood, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was a long journey to get there. But very early on as a kid, I think I was I was you know very imaginative. You know, I loved playing with Lincoln logs. That probably dates me, you know, a bit. <laughs> and if I say Legos, it's maybe a little bit more age agnostic. But um, but I, I loved building things. I loved constructing worlds. Um, my sis, my the only sibling I had was eight years older. Uh, my sister. And so I pretty much grew up as an only child, you know, so yeah. you kind of had to form that. And then I grew up really isolated, you know, because once I entered into school, um, I was really bullied for my um, for my weight and my ethnicity, you know. Mm-hmm. And, I, and even though I, I, you know, Silicon Valley, Bay Area is very much, um, you know, a third Asian, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at that time growing up, you know, I, I think there was this influx of immigrants and Asians and and we were seen as passive and, and I, you know, when, when the bullies came around, I was the only one that vocalized my distaste and in, in their behavior and, and, you know, fought back. And, and so I grew up, you know, um, pretty rough, you know, I, I grew up, you know, with the ex- extreme violence in the playground and, and uh, in the neighborhood, um, you know, which even further made me go into my, my, my isolation and my imagination. Right. But I also think that's set, set course early on too that I knew that the world needed to be different right so it makes me really sad and and quite angry to hear those stories about people experiencing that and you know as as a a white woman in in Britain I I I don't have that experience and um do you find that this is does this still happen today 
Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting, and you know, what's what's interesting is it does to a, to a lot of degrees. You know, um, you know, I, I think you know, even me starting Supervillain was, you know, now we're getting super personal. Should we should we just be totally personal and transparent here? If yeah, you're happy maybe. to, we would. Yeah, love happy that. to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's part it's part of it. You know, and I was so, so humbled that you would ask me to come on and, and talk about the story because I think that's a big part of it. And listening to your previous guests, it's like I love how vulnerable people make themselves here. But mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, it, it definitely has informed what I started today, and and, and I, I still experience it tremendously here in San Francisco. It's fairly homogenous. You know, there are a lot of Asian people, I'm sure, in the city. But you know, I think it's easy to say, hey, there are. You're Asian, you're a model minority, everything's okay, right? Where, you know, for me, being an Asian, my ex-wife is actually a white woman, and we moved into, you know, Pacific Heights, this, this neighborhood in San Francisco, and and I experienced it daily, you know, walking down Fillmore Street, going into a store, and, and I'm not going to name the store, but the store asked me to leave my bag at the door when, a, you know, women would come in with giant shopping bags. And I'm, I'm a grown man, you know, I'm yeah. nearly 40, 40 years old at this point. You know, I'm very well put together. I'm very, you know, I think I'm well spoken. Mm-hmm. I think I have a, I think I present kindly. I'm very aware of my color and my size and, and my presence. So I always try to make people feel safe. And, and you know, it's, it's, still, it's still one of those things where, you know, if I'm, if I'm asking, my, if, if people are asking me to check my bag at the door, when everyone else can walk freely, it's really, you know, it's it's really hard to to say and, and argue with what's going on in the world right now, you know, and, and to say that people are overreacting to, you know, the social justice mm-hmm. uh, issues and the diversity and inclusion efforts that, that need to take place. Um, and this is me, you know, I think, um, you know, and then not only that, you know, in, in that same neighborhood when I was taking or when I was doing laundry, this woman came down into the garage of my building threw a bunch of cardboard boxes at me and asked me to break them down because she thought I was the, the building manager. That must manager. be the help. Mm-hmm. That must be the help, yeah. So, you know, this is this happens every day. And, and it happens, and it's not just a, a, a white minority thing either, right? I think, I think all of us, you know, um, of every ethnicity, every background need to really examine, you know, how we engage with one another for a more inclusive future. Uh, because, you know, even in the height of, you know, um, issues here, you know, it, you know, we have a, a very diverse team, but I'm walk. you know, when I walk the streets, I, you know, I, I guess I, I dress how you would imagine maybe a, a little bit more of the streetwear slants, right? Like I have a little bit more of that streetwear feel, you know, wear fitted hats a lot. That's a, that's been a signature of mine. I still, I grew up in the age of sneakers, so I'm always wearing, you know, sneakers and, you know, and, and even here in Oakland where I live, you know, I have other people of color coming up to me, asking me what it's like to be on the right side of color, right? And so, you know, it's 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 a weird, complicated time, but yeah, I still experience it from from all aspects today, of, of which I think we all do. You know, I think it's not just a, a race thing, but it's a it's a gender thing, a, a class thing. It's it's everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I try not to dwell in it too much, but but I think that's why we started an agency that's very inclusive, very multicultural you know, of which I'm very proud of, because I think we, you know, we need more of that. And it's important to talk about it, because that's how change happens. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you, Nam. And coming back to when you were, when you were growing up, what did you want to be? Oh, what did I, I wanted to be a superhero, first and foremost, which is funny. (laughs) Yeah, which is funny. Uh, But yeah, no, um, from, from, from when I was a kid, I always wanted to be Batman, right? Like that. And so I have this like odd obsession with Batman. It's very, embarrassing and kind of nerdy. Um, <laughs> but from a professional standpoint, I always wanted to be an architect when I was growing up. I was fascinated with building homes and spaces where people can inhabit and live. And And I think it, go, it went back to my desire to feel safe, you know, or the only place I felt safe, which was under my roof, you know? And so I always wanted to create that. And so I think it also very much ties in with, with me liking to build things, you know? Uh, but being an architect was was my dream. When I figured out you need to be really good at math to be an architect, that's that's when it all went out the window. Yeah. Do you know I had the same thing with the astro being wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I realized I would have to do maths and physics. I was like, okay, maybe I don't want uh, to go totally. into space. <laughs> I think, funnily yeah. enough, I wanted to be an architect and at one point a vet. But the thing that put off me put me off it was the fact that you had to study for about nine years. For both of them, it's like, nah, <laughs> that's not for me. I'm in the same camp. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm not alone in, in the whole, like, you know. 
I thought it was uh, it was due to a lack of ambition, but uh, but clearly I'm sitting across from two very ambitious individuals. So I feel less bad about that. <laughs> yeah, it's entrepreneurial <laughs> spirit. You need to just hurry up and yeah. get on with things. That's exactly. all. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It take nine years to get through get to the thing. Yeah. Are there any jobs that you've had that you'd think? God, that was awful. That was my worst job. I mean, you don't oh, need gosh. to name names, but if you've got any stories, we'd love to hear them. Oh, yeah. So so many jobs. I mean, because I started working real early, you know, I started working real early to, to kind of gain the independence. But, um, you know, you know, what's funny is like, I actually really loved all of my jobs. You know, it's I believe it or not. And I try to impart this on all the teams I've ever led, which is learn how to love everything. And that there's there should be a pride in one's work. You know, and I think I got that from my parents who were immigrants, you know, who had because when I think about horrible jobs, nothing compares to the jobs that they had when they first mm-hmm. you know, immigrated to the state. So I think I always grew up feeling like I, when I was comparing to things that my parents had to do, I was like, this is amazing. You know, like I loved being a server at the Cheesecake Factory, which was to a lot of people a horrendous job, but I loved it. I think the only thing I hated was you had to wear all white. And so you'd end up looking filthy at the end of the, <laughs> end of the shift, uh, you know, as, a, as you were waiting tables. Um, but even working at The Gap, I worked at The Gap for a couple of years and, and I loved it. You know, I loved interacting with consumers. I loved folding jeans perfectly. I, I loved making people feel good as, as they tried on their clothing, regardless of their body types. You know, like mm-hmm. I just loved contributing right and so it's one of those things i've taken always taken with me so i've never really had a job i've, I've hated because i always feel like there's always something to learn there's always something to take away and and um and it's always a step towards something else but uh, yeah so it, it's uh, yeah i know it's 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 a, it's a tough question i've actually thought about that lately too because i have a lot of young folks who who work here who um who you know you hear you know grumble a bit and you're like hey mm-hmm. like you know, things things aren't so bad that it's it's going to pass you know yeah i do think that working with the public whether that's in retail or you know uh, hospitality i think it's such a great grounding for eventually running your company because you've been you know you taught from a young age of how to make the customer or possibly client happy i, I just think it's such a great grounding Oh, it's it's huge. It's it's like one of those things that they always you always hear. It's like, hey, go work in service, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and and actually, it's, it's funny. I don't know um, what it's been like for both you, like hiring individuals, but I actually look for that in mm-hmm. resumes. You know, I love it, especially with younger folks. You know, because the older you get, you kind of leave that stuff off. But I love it with some of the younger talent who come in and very proudly put that they worked in service or during an interview. That's a question I ask if I don't see it. You know, because to that point, you know, it, it's it's. Um, I think it's just so meaningful when people can walk away with an experience, having learned how to deal with people and and come out on the other side, you know, more patient, you know, more understanding, more empathetic. You know, I I, I think you learned some great lessons there. I I couldn't agree more. The last time we talked, you mentioned that you'd felt burnt out living in New York, um, hence your move to the West Coast. So reflecting on that, is there any advice that you give to people living in New York, London, Hong Kong, any of those really fast paced cities? Yeah, absolutely. I know I got I got burned out working there and I miss it every day. Is that is that strange? Like, <laughs> no, I, I feel the same about London. It's, <laughs> it's right. It's 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 this, it's this very uh, interesting love hate relationship. But yeah, I think it was I got burned out because I didn't listen to myself more. Right. And I think that there was a lot of pressure and there is a lot of pressure, I think, in, in living in the cities and especially working on our business that are incredibly social to keep up with those paces. Right. Like you work really hard, you get into the office. I would get in every day at nine, you know, to get a jump start, work till about seven or eight, go out for dinner and drinks, be home by like two thirty, three, wow. do it all over again, you mm-hmm. know, because I felt like I had to. Right. Like there was this there's aspect of feeling like you had to keep up with everyone. And I feel like that was, you know, that was something that I would have done differently was just a little, listen to myself a little bit more. You know, I'm, I'm actually not an extroverted person by any means. I'm very much an introvert. You know, I've, I've actually get very uncomfortable in crowds. Yeah, but it was but I felt like I had to play the part, you know, be seen, you know, network meet people and all and what I would have done instead is just treat it as a marathon if I wanted some sustainability in those cities right which is like hey like you know be okay with being my you know listening to myself and what I needed but I think that that was the hardest part 
Absolutely. And and this it adds a whole new layer of exhaustion. It's not just the physicality of being at work all day and then out until frankly the middle of the night. But it's just that it's just exhausting if it's something that doesn't come naturally to you as well. If it's not who you are, it's that that must have been very difficult. And do you think in the light of the pandemic and the fact that we're seeing much more in the way of hybrid working and remote working, do you see a time when when people just move out of those cities because they can yeah, work from anywhere you know i this is what a great question right and i'm sure um we all have talked about it you know at you know at length with so many of us i actually don't think the hubs will ever lose um i mean i think there will probably be a time we saw it in exodus but i feel like the hubs are, are hubs for a reason you know i think yeah. at the end of the day i very much believe that People still need to be, you know, connected and engaged and um, in spaces with energy. I like the idea of more flexibility, right? Yeah. Like I, I like the idea of like, hey, maybe, maybe you split it up, you break it up, and I think that will change things every, from everything from, you know, how you live to how you work to you know, um, and in the locality of that, right? Like I, I think, you know, um, I think that's all going to be here and here to stay. But I don't, I don't really see the hubs, you know, those these major cities losing that much because I, I just think at the end of the day, it is a place with just such great culture, and you know, it brings it brings so many people together. You know, I think if you're looking for a place to belong and it's diverse and a lot of different ideas and museums, music, the theater, uh, the the food, and 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 the melding of all of that, I think it really does all meet in a central place. Um, and I think that's, you know, just proven throughout history, right? Like you had bazaars and markets. Um, but I do think that we need a bit more of breaks, right? I mean, to the point of which we were talking about earlier, it's like, how do you just balance some of that stuff out? Yeah, you know? it would be a shame to lose all that vibrancy. Um, oh, but there, there needs to be that that balance. Absolutely. So sort of changing, changing the subjects a little now and, and thinking back to some of the people that you've worked with over the years, which genuine humans have, have most influenced your career? Oh gosh, there's so many, you know, there's, there's so many and there's so many that I haven't, you lose touch of. And, and I love this question because I think it's one thing that um, I think about all the time, but actually there's so many, it's, it's hard. It's hard. There's so many, because I think I'd, I'd like to give, if I could give away all the credit of everything I've ever done, I absolutely would. And, and I can, right. I can link back mm-hmm. everything I've ever done and tie it to somebody. Right. But the first person that comes to mind is Gary Allen, I would say Gary Allen, Dave Henderson, Dave Thornton, and Kemi Flynn, Pam Von Wiegen. There was this cluster of folks that uh, took me under their wing when I was a teenager, you know, and I was trying to figure out my way. I was very concerned and about the community and wanted to get involved because of my own experience. And I was volunteering at a domestic violence agency for years, and, and uh, this group of folks, you know, came to me and asked me if I wanted to, you know, basically co-found this this uh, nonprofit uh, called Project Cornerstone. And as a teenager who was trying to find their place, that was incredible, you know, for them to, to give me a sense of purpose, to let them know that my home was my home, um, for them to also invite me on as not just a founding member of, of this organization, but also to sit on their respective companies' boards, you know? So I was sitting in boardrooms with... 50 year olds, which at the time felt ancient, but now I'm like, <laughs> yes, you know, if, if, but you know, like, but as a, as a teenager to have those experiences of sitting around the table with mostly older white folks and growing up othered for so long and all of a sudden mm-hmm. being in a room and feeling heard and valued and seen, um, I think really gave me um, a ton of confidence to to go back out into the world and, and keep moving. So those are just a handful of folks that um, that, that I can uh, pinpoint early. And then in terms of the business itself, uh, you know, there's, there's so many. I wish there were more in our business, you know. I think, you know, going into the advertising ranks, it got a little lonely at times. But thankfully, I was always really surrounded by really great peers and, and, and was at really fantastic agencies, you know, um, where, where I've always bet on the people rather than the agency or the agency name. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always wanted to make sure that it felt it felt safe, it felt good. 
Uh, and so, you know, I can attribute, you know, every agency I've ever been at to, to a lot of great folks there. And then obviously, you know, you, we have our bad seeds, you know, we've yeah, got yeah. a few of those too, right? But, but yeah, those are some, some names that really stick out at least early on in my, in my days. And in the business, gosh, so many folks, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you'd have to get really specific because I could name like a, a thousand people. <laughs> <laughs> and, and talking about the, uh, the agency, because you've been brand side, you've been agency side, and now, of course, you're, you're running your own show. Would you say that it's made you more of an empathetic leader, having seen it from all sides? Absolutely, 100%. And I think that's the true definition of empathy, right? Is like to, to go search and, and try to see things from all sides. And, and that was very deliberate in my, in my career, you know, going from nonprofit, especially going into the agency, agency world. You know, I was at Goodby Silverstein and Partners, which was very full service integrated at the time, big on interactive and television. I went to 360i because I really wanted that social, that social digital SEO kind of experience, uh, media from both organizations. And then after that, I went into more of like a cultural music startup agency, mm. you know, because I wanted to see it from like the culture side, the music entertainment side. And then from there, when I went back to San Francisco, I went into PR, I went to Edelman, right? Because I wanted the PR vantage point because I, I think PR is very powerful and we need to understand that. And then from there, I went to AKQA because I wanted the innovation side. And then that brought me to Intel because I wanted the brand, you know, experience of what it was like to, to hopefully revitalize a 50-year-old tech, tech company amongst, you know, all these modern giants. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think I, I crave seeing things from all angles, mm-hmm. not only in business, but that's just like insane curiosity, I think, is, has always been something that, um, that, I, that I've had. Um, about people, about place, and and yeah, but especially about our business. You know, I want to understand everything because I think it's it's super helpful in, in getting that empathy. Yeah. And that's such an incredible sort of list of places that that you've been to. Um, and what really kind of has uh, jumped out at me is that often when you've gone to places, you have started something new. So I think you mentioned about you know really sort of starting off the the content division. 360i and and wh- where would you say so i mean it strikes me that you're very pioneering where does that entrepreneurial drive come from yeah the the entrepreneurial drive i think comes from being very comfortable with with being the other and realizing that hey if the world's not built for you and what you see and you see opportunity and you see impact and you see um, potential there is like hey you got to go build it mm. Right. Like otherwise for me, it just would have felt like I would have been on a a set of rails that would have been architected by someone else. Right. Mm. And, and that would have been totally okay if I didn't actually see tremendous opportunity. But the funny thing is, is the world is, the world changes every day with every rotation, there's something different happening. And I've always believed that, Hey, I might've been early in some of the things as well. And, and I might have been right on time, but I always knew that there were others that saw the world the same way I did, mm. right? Um, which makes made me believe that if I built something, that it would be meaningful if it filled the space and people really gravitated to it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard to explain because I think it's just something that I feel very comfortable in doing, and and you know, I, I'm, and I'm okay with being wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the other thing, right? I'm okay with, with coming out and, and saying like, hey, this is the pathway we need to go. And so many times, you know, it wasn't easy building these things because people would say social does not make sense. You know, like, I mean, especially when I was at Goodby early on and I get it, you know, they were just like, hey, like you're trying to present creative work and a production plan and pieces of content that are a fraction of our, our budget. Yeah. What is that going to look like when we say we can make all these really great things when we're charging them X for these bigger campaigns? And I, and I, my conversation was just like, well, we can do it here and it's not for the mass media placements that we have. They're actually, I think, more personalized. But, you know, to their credit, right, like there wasn't really a place to put it yet. Right. Like there were forums, there were blogs, you know, but. Uh, Facebook had just opened up to brands, to select brands, right? So there, it was still kind of early. Um, 
but those were always really fun conversations, scary conversations, right? Because when you're going up to like Jeff and Rich and the Derek Robson, the managing director, and you're like, hey, I got this wild idea. And they're like, we love it. But, you know, you're like, oh, my gosh, did I just totally put my foot in my mouth? <laughs> but but yeah, it, it, but it's it's. You know, I think I think here's here's the best part about how I grew up, even though it was challenging. I think growing up when you're told you're wrong all the time and when you told you you don't belong all the time at a certain point, if you can make it through that and if you can see the other side, you're OK with being wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I've, I've lived the rest of my life being OK with being wrong, OK with being the other, OK with challenging status quo, OK with with my viewpoint, because as long as I, I made it out on the other side, like, and, and I could be comfortable and, and, you know, building the world that I want to see, right. Somebody has to, to, to like it. Right. And, and I think it also comes from my ethos of coming from the nonprofit world, you know, mm-hmm. um, where we always used to say in the nonprofit world, Hey, if we could just change one life, if we could just change one life, that's that, that matters, right. The work we've done matters. And so, you know, when you come into the advertise, marketing advertising space and I'm like, hey, if I could just reach one person in the way that I want to and set them on a course, that, that matters, right? And so uh, it's, really, it's really pushed me to just be a little bit more uh, forthright with some of my thoughts and, and ideas. I, I really get that. And, and, and I think it's that sense of when, when you have been sort of wronged or there's trauma or sort of, uh, you know, bad things, um, it does make you want to save the world or, or save an individual. And, and it's so fascinating how many entrepreneurs actually do talk about that as well, that, that link uh, of, as you say, either being othered or trauma. It's that it brings like a fire in your belly that it's difficult to explain. But uh, I, I definitely hear that. Absolutely. I mean, and, and you know, and I'm, I'm great now, and it's you know hard then, but you almost have to. Th- I almost feel like sometimes I need to thank those bullies. You know, like I almost need to thank them for helping me see the world a little differently because it did un- unleash something in me that I can't even describe sometimes, mm. right? And and I need to be even very, you know, um, and managing you know a lot of young people or younger folks or managing teams now, or when young people younger talent reach out to me I, I also need to be aware that like not everyone is built the same yeah. so i need to cool the tempo and on, on what i encourage folks to do you know um but that also probably explains my new york burnout right like i just go in on everything and and uh and you know as i get older i'm, I'm learning to to listen to myself a little bit more which is good absolutely now just having a slightly more sort of industry lens what brands would you say are doing a good job at purpose-led advertising and or, or marketing, in your opinion? I think there are ones that we've forgotten that I think are still really great, right? Like I love, um, I still think uh, Tom and Warby's, Warby Parker yes. right, are, are still doing great purpose-led uh, marketing and advertising or just business, right? Like for, forget, I think it's so good when we've forgotten that they are about this one-for-one cause base um, you know, purpose-led business model, and it's in their messaging. I love it when we've all forgotten because they've become household names yeah. and, and amazing brands. Period. Right, and so I think they're really great examples of that. And then there are the very obvious, obvious ones. I think, of, like at least over here, that I think we hear about all the time. You know, so I could tip my hat at Patago- the Patagonias and the Ben and yes. Jerry's of the worlds, of course. Um, but I really love it when the, these small upstart brands, because I think that we're talking about entrepreneurship, right? Like, I love it when I see brands come out and they're tiny or they're big um, and, do, and do really great things. One of my favorite purpose-led brands actually is, um, have, have, you, have you both heard of State Bags at all over here? And, and I don't think they've I made haven't. it over now. Yeah, I'm not sure if they made it over, but, you know, again, it's a one-for-one model, but, you know, it's all about, you know, kids in school and you know you buy a backpack they fill a backpack full of school supplies and they give it to a kid you know so i think there is i love i mean there's so many right that that have this like um you know reciprocal kind of like model and you know just one one that i have to plug because they're they are a client and i and i love 
them and him and, and the potential of what they're trying to do and, and what they are setting out to do, of which I think, you know, we'll see more work soon um, along that, that side of things. But, it, you know, uh, Stephen Curry in the beginning of Curry brand, he very much, when he launched his namesake brand, very much wanted it to be an impact brand. And we looked at, you know, the Toms of the Worlds as models of, you know, Stefan starting a very large business company with Under Armour and mm. setting very clearly a purpose-led agenda. Um, and so you'll see you'll see that come out over the course of uh, the brand. But um, I'm also very excited that larger individuals and brands are starting to make more commitments there as well, you know, which is so amazing because they were all really kickstarted by these tiny brands. Tom's was a tiny brand, you know, um, Warby Parker was a startup, tiny brand that changed everything. And, and I love that how their their efforts early on have now permeated, you know, the, the brand space because uh, um, and then met much credit to the consumers, too. Right. Yeah. For buying into these products. Um, so. So, yeah, those are a few of uh, few. And it's great as an agency owner, when you uh, start working with those kind of clients that you really just love so much, it permeates through the whole agency and everyone just gets so excited about working with them as well, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it's 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 so true. I think it's um, you know it's funny, and and I think it's also you know one thing that we've undervalued in terms of talent, and I think we over-indexed on is you know I was always really frustrated, you know, especially running your own agency, right? Is when you actually operate a certain way and you have brands and clients that are very meaningful, and the culture is great, the vision is purposeful. Attrition, attrition happens less, yeah. people are happier, and they're willing to, to work for less, right? And I think it's like this thing where how, why, aren't, why aren't more agencies really pushing and partnering with their clients and their brands to do better, be better, because it benefits all of us, right? It benefits us on the agency side, it benefits them on the brand side. And then hopefully, you know, the talent, the talent jumping that happens so much in our business would, would you know, reduce and, and, you know, we wouldn't have to... You know, I don't know. That, that was just something I, I was thinking about as, you, as we were talking. And just thinking about the, the, the wider industry, this is a big question, but um, <laughs> what changes do you think we still need to make in the industry? I still think, um, I mean, I think the, the, first, the, the biggest thing, the changes that we have to make first and foremost, I think are, are how we treat women in our business. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, you know, I'll, I'll take race you know, diversity and inclusion, but that's including women. But I think, you know, I think how we treat women in our business has always been something that's really bothered me. Okay. You know, I, I grew up, you know, coming up as a teenager, I worked in domestic violence agencies for eight years, right? Doing community education training. And I knew it was pretty, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's tough for women everywhere um, generally, but in our business, you know, we, you know, it, you know, not us, right? Because I don't think we were part of that period. But, you know, this whole idea of sex sells and, mm -hmm. you know, objectif objectification, like we've done so much cultural tr damage laying out track as an industry that we need to unwire so much, right? And we need to um, do so much to make sure that, you know, we are now building work, making work and building an industry that is changing the conversation for all people mm. right um, and, and especially women and then also in the workplace right like i think i've i've seen and this is also why you know uh, the supervillain name exists right like i've seen so many women across so many agencies be assaulted you know you've heard of it you know it, it has happened um and then you've seen them poorly treated right i was i recently read uh, that article or that piece that I, for, I forget is her it name. Zoe right, Skaman. Yes. yes. Mad, Mad Men, Furious Women. Yeah. Yes. Recently read that. And I was aware, I thought I was aware, you know, and I'm pretty in tune, right? Like I've, I've, I've always run and led that very balanced teams. You know, I'm a big advocate and that made my stomach turn yeah. in a way that was so, infuriating because I even thought I was aware. So, I mean, there's so much, I have so much respect for her for writing that piece. And as a, as a uh, agency owner herself, right? Like putting her, her own name and business on the line to yeah. do so. And we, you know, tomorrow you were talking about the toxicity of social, you know, yeah. and, and just to see how much 
she's gotten for putting that piece out. But, you know, talk about a supervillain. Like, Zoe, like, you, you are a supervillain to the to the greatest degree, right? Because I think anytime I've tried to, you know, um, say anything in the business uh, in support of that, early on, before I became a leader, I was always ostracized, right? I was no longer a part of the club. Uh-huh. Like, and then I'd, you'd have to go build your own thing. That's why I always built my own thing, because mm-hmm. I didn't want to have to play by the rules, even if I was on the inside. And, and I'm a firm believer of cannibalizing culture, right? Go in, change the culture, leave it for the better, right? Eat the head, right, is essentially the idea. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's one of the biggest things um, uh, that I think we have to change. And the other is the diversity and inclusion aspect, yeah. right, of uh, from, a, from a race and, and class standpoint, right? And I think both of those are important, right? Because it's not just about, it is about people of color, but it's also about, you know, full inclusivity, right? Access mm-hmm. to, portf- I mean, I didn't go to portfolio school and thank goodness I was still able to make it through this business, right? But, you know, I think you have to have a certain level of access to these days to go through and go to portfolio school if you want to end up at a top agency where coming up the other way, you know, is, is very much harder, you know? Um, and then, and then from that standpoint, the diversity side of things. I just think we need more representation all around from from gender and, and ethnicity. Yeah, and and definitely a move from, you know, people committing to doing things and then nothing really changing. And something that has really occurred to me. I mean, you talk about uh, Zoe Scaman. It was such a powerful essay, and the fact that she is able to to speak up. She runs her own agency. I feel like there is more power that the independent agencies have uh, to be either fantastic allies or loudspeakers as, as well. And, I, and I, I really would like to see more change and more, more agency leaders sort of actually saying this is just not good enough. Uh, so yeah, I, I fully, fully agree. Yeah, you, and you say the key word right there, which is change, right? And I couldn't agree more because I think it's easy to say it all. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a that's the worst part about our business. Right. Is like we are masters of saying things. Yeah. Like we are masters of saying the right things, of, of, of saying what's what's right on culture, right on trend. And if we all do say we are every agency also says big or small, right, that they want to change culture actually change culture yeah. and it starts from the inside. So I love that word tomorrow. Like the change aspect is, is vital because the lip service is not enough. So now we're going to move on to the part of the podcast where we get a bit more personal as if we haven't already. <laughs> um, how do you like to spend your downtime and do you have any guilty pleasures that you'd be prepared to share with us? Oh yeah, absolutely. In my downtime, I have a, I have a, the, the sweetest dog in the world and I spend all of my time with her you know, it's it's uh, her name's Venom. Uh, most people think it's because of a supervillain name. It just it happens to fit very well. Um, but it's it's because when I rescued her, she was poisoned. Oh. Um, they found her poisoned, and so we wanted to, you know, I wanted to name her something that would reclaim that. And and plus, it's derivative of Venus, by the way. If 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 people don't know, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's derivative of Venus, and and uh, and Venom used to be a word old French word for magical charm. It was almost like a love potion, right? You were under someone's venom, under someone's spell. And then we've taken that and co-opted it to something pretty evil, like we normally do, right? right. I, <laughs> why yeah. we can't have nice things. <laughs> I, I need your help naming any future pets. That, that is just awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, so I spent all of my time with her. We, we like to explore the Bay Area. Uh, there's so much around here, you know, in terms of landscape, geography, and, um, and she, keep, she brings me peace. Um, so that that's that's what what I do. And then in terms of uh, guilty pleasures, is that what it was? Or yeah, or vice? Oh gosh, guilty pleasures. I'm I'm a I'm an avid gamer. You know, I, I haven't been able to game that much. You know, but I grew up on on gaming. We worked on on a lot of gaming at Intel, which was a dream come true. A lot of people don't, I think, really know that about me because I don't have much time to to speak about it anymore. But sometimes I still like to to go back and and you know turn on the console and just you know, lose some hours just gaming. I'm, a, I'm kind of a nerd in that way. But, yeah. And we've talked about how much we love the name of your agency. So either superhero or supervillain, um, what powers would you like to have? Gosh, you know, it's always so it's always so tricky. You know, my, my instincts say I would like invisibility. Mm-hmm. And that's not because I want to do anything nefarious, you know, with it. <laughs> it's really because I like disappearing. Like, 
I, I don't like attention, you know, um, I've actually have always stayed away from press and PR. The only reason why, you know, I came on here is because of, of, of your, of your guys, of your, both of your reputations, right. And the, and literally of the intent and obviously Chloe is a dear friend and mm-hmm. I trust her to no end. Um, but yeah, it would, it would be invisibility. You know, sometimes I would just like to like get out of a crowd or a sticky situation and, and I also think it goes back to being the other. Sometimes you get unwanted attention, you know, and you're just like, hey, can I just like exit this, you know, situation peacefully? And so mm-hmm. I would say a little bit of invisibility would be would be my my power. I'm kind of also thinking that in my head, I, I can't get this out, but the, the Homer Simpson cartoon when he just kind of backs into <laughs> yes. a hedge. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. That is that is what I want to do so often, and uh, you know, throughout throughout each day, it's amazing. But that's perfect. That's a perfect reference. If we if this was a text chat, that would be the the gift that you'd send me. Yeah. <laughs> and given the choice of any brand that you haven't worked with yet, who would you like to work with? Oh gosh, so many. There are a lot of great brands out there. I'm I'm still I, you know I grew up wanting to be a filmmaker, you know so I would still love the opportunity to work in the film space, mm-hmm. you know one brand I would love to work with and because we do so much also like product work and, and consulting work like I would love to work with DC, mm-hmm. you know Warner Brothers DC, yeah. where, where Marvel is like kind of eating eating their lunch right now right yeah. with the with the um, cinematic universe where DC, I'm a big Batman guy, like I told you. So I would love to help create that universe, right? I think when I, because when we think of, when I think of Marvel, talking, going back to the work aspect of it, they've done such a great job of creating a fully integrated transmedia experience, right? Like we can finally use the word transmedia in a way that we couldn't like 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. right? Because now we, we can do that, but like they've created such an experience that I, I think as a brand, we covet right? It's, um, it's online, it's offline, it's experiential, it's uh, productized, it's content, it's comic books, it's they've, you know, they've done a fantastic job. So as a Batman fan, I would love to help out the Dark Knight and his, uh, his other, his other Justice League friends and see if we could, if we could do that. And then, you know, and I'm a very inclusive person. And then what at one point, those two universes collide, right? Like, <laughs> Why not? An absolute dream. Yeah. <laughs> so... And if Tamara and I had it within our power to give you an extra hour every day, what would you do with it? Uh, that's easy. It would, it would be read. Mm-hmm. I would read. I think it's something that I think all of us need to be doing more, quite frankly. You know, it's like turn off the phone and just read. You know, the, I think the power of, of the written word is it's probably more potent than anything. Right. And I would just love more time to do that and dive into, you know, new authors, old authors, but just take some time to not take my ability to read and come and think about these things for granted, you know, and yeah. I feel like um, that, that's something that, you know, we're, we all are doing less of uh, in general, I would, I would assume. Um, but for me, I always feel really guilty because like, I, I do know that being able to read is such a gift mm. and it's not something I do nearly enough. How would your friends describe you, do you think? And how would you like them to describe you? Oh gosh, that's a great question. How would my friends describe me? I think they would describe me as pretty, pretty level-headed, you know, as um, as like kind of almost like a patriarch. I have, I've, uh, you know, I've been known to in all my team meetings throughout my career to to just drop some really terrible dad jokes um, <laughs> throughout, throughout the meeting. Um, I like to think they're so bad they're good, you know, like you know everyone. But yeah, no, I think they would describe me as someone who is, um, you know, pretty consistent pretty warm, you know, I think pretty generous, uh, I think very committed, you know, uh, very shy at the same time. Um, those who really know me, you know, I think know that I'm really shy and how, and I think that's exactly how I would like to, I would like them to describe me, you know, is uh, I just feel like we need to, we should, we should be who we, who we want, who we want to, to be. Describe. Yeah. So I feel lucky enough to have a, you know, really great people and friends and, and, uh, a team that allow me to do so all throughout my career. You know, I feel very blessed to, to, to be, uh, to, to be able to do that. I've loved hearing about your, your journey and your, your career. I, I'd like to just ask, how do you define success? You know, this may sound totally strange and because I want, I don't have children and, and gosh, I may not ever, you know, depending on circumstance, but 
you know, I always used to say or think to myself, you know, what are the stories I want my kids to tell about me? And, and that's the type of success that uh, I would define, mm-hmm. right, is have you led a life that um, you'd be proud of if your kids told about you? You know, it's, it's really not about the awards. I've always shied away from the awards. And, and, and God, I mean, I'm going to be so forthright and say, like, a lot of people have taken a lot of credit for my work over the years mm-hmm. because I haven't really chased the awards or the notoriety and whatnot. But it doesn't really matter to me. You know, um, all that stuff is temporary in my mind. I think success for me really uh, is defined by, you know, how you're remembered and the impact you left in, in our small corner of the world. And, you know, so I've picked marketing, advertising. You know, yes, yeah, I think that's I think that's beautiful. This has been wonderful. And it's been so great to get to know you better as well. Is there anything that you wish that we had asked that we haven't asked or any closing thoughts from you? Not, not really. You know, I'm not, I'm not really one to, who likes to talk about myself. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. And, and it's something that my whole team and so many people, so many dear friends who are, who are wishing for supervillain success that are telling me I need to do more of, right? Because as an agency founder, you need to kind of be more public and be out there. Um, but no, no real closing thoughts outside of the fact that, you know, I really, you know, it's, it's been a complete honor, you know, sitting and, and, and chatting with the both of you because what you've built is exactly what I hope to build. You know, I, I think, you know, the reputation precedes, you know, precedes the organization and the both of you. And, and yeah, no, I think we just all need to find each other, lock arms, really lock arms and run really fast, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's kind of my thought. So, yeah, no, the closing thought is uh, I, I hope I hope I can continue down a path in um doing the type of work and building the type of company I want to build. But, you know, if, if there's any any proof that it can happen, it's you. Well, that's so kind. Thank you. Thank you. I have no doubt whatsoever that you're going to be a supervillain for years to come. You've been listening to Genuine Humans, brought to you by The Social Element. If you loved what you heard, remember to subscribe or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency.